Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to another episode from 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This one from our Heroes series is titled Becoming George Washington. And today we're speaking with Steve Yock, author of the newly released book Becoming George Washington, which has received extremely positive review from NetGalley and Goodreads. The book just released September 1st. Steve lives and works in Minneapolis. Steve, welcome to the show. First question for you, Steve. Why the fascination with George Washington? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, Washington, uh, to me, has always been the most fascinating. First of all, because I think without him, more than anyone else, I don't think we, America could have won the revolution. Strategically, as a general, he understood from the very beginning what we needed to do to win the war. And now there were some that will disagree with me that he wasn't that good of a tactical general otherwise and someone else could have won the war. And I think the obvious answer to that is great and that person would have become king. In history, generals who won wars always made themselves king. In fact, George III said, you know, if he made himself, uh, if he gave up being the king, he would be the greatest man in history. And of course, Washington did it not once but twice. So for me, that story of how and why he did that is the most interesting story and why I've always been so fascinated with Washington. Why this story? Why not later in his life? That's a really good question. You know, by the time George was the general and the president, he was fully formed. I think what the more interesting story, and frankly, it's a story that almost no one knows, is his younger life. How he, again, my title, became George Washington is far more interesting in my mind than what he was later on. So, uh, to me, that story, and by the way, it's a ripping story. There's battle scenes and love interests and all kind of stuff that makes it the kind of story that I like to read and frankly love to write. What are some of the biggest myths about George Washington? There are tons of myths. First of all, he's not the stiff that we see on the dollar bill. I, I wanted to write the book as much to bring him alive because he was a tremendously interesting and dynamic guy. But uh, he, most of his life, as for all of us, he wasn't an old guy most of his life. He wasn't the guy we saw on the dollar bill. First of all, he didn't wear a wig. Never did. That was always his own hair. Um, his hair became gray, and he powdered it a little bit. But for the most part, he just had gray hair, and it wasn't a wig. A lot of guys did wear wigs, but he didn't. He also, by the way, didn't have wooden teeth. Uh, he did lose a lot of his teeth, and he had terrible pain from teeth. But uh, he didn't have wooden teeth. In fact, some he had sort of animal teeth. Uh, some he had enslaved people's teeth were put in his mouth. Um, he did lie a lot. That I can never tell a lie was a lie. A guy named Parsons Weems made up that story and it caught on, but it, it's absolutely not true. Um, and finally, and I think this is kind of cool, he loved to dance. He was a, a, a really good dancer his whole life, and women flocked to dance with him. So 
uh, a lot of myths on him, and most of all, he was a really, frankly, interesting and dynamic guy. Your book, which I enjoyed very much, contains some controversy. It suggests an affair with Sally Fairfax. Would you elaborate on that a little bit? It does. Um, listen, George was a tremendously passionate guy as a young man. He wrote poetry. Um, he wrote imploring letters. Um, I believe, and it's, it's a historical fiction. We don't know for sure. In fact, no one can ever know, and all the leading historians agree. We don't know, but I believe George may have had an affair with a woman named Sally Fairfax, who was a indirect family relative. She was not a blood relative, married to a friend of his named George William Fairfax. For those of you that have heard Fairfax, said, yes, she is from the Fairfax County, Virginia Fairfaxes. Uh, the people, they owned all the land and were the largest landowners right across from what is now Washington, D.C. So um, I believe, and my story turns on this affair with uh, Sally Fairfax. Do you really think the affair occurred? <laughs> well, do I think the affair occurred? Well, let me start by saying I hope so. Um, I think it makes George a more interesting and human person. We're never going to know. Uh, George and, and Sally could never have admitted to the affair. If under Virginia law at the time, she could have been stoned to death. It would have meant the destruction for both George and Sally. But there's a tremendous amount of historical and circumstantial evidence to support the affair. And that's all laid out in my book. Um, in February 1758, and I don't want to ruin it for our, the readers, but in February 1758, George thought he was dying, and for good reason. Um, he, uh, his brother had died of tuberculosis at 36. His dad died in his early 40s. We're not really sure how. His grandfathers and great-grandfathers, no Washington man, they said, ever saw his 50th year, and few saw his 40th. He was told by a good family friend and his physician, Dr. Craig, that he was likely dying of tuberculosis, uh, as his brother did. And so he returns to Mount Vernon in February 1758, as I said. And look, all historians agree George loved her. It's, it's almost completely universal, they agree. Most historians agree she loved him. Um, she was in a, she was married to a difficult guy. Um, in February 1758, her husband is gone to England for the winter and for dealing with his inheritance. And she, he writes a letter to her that says, essentially, I'm sick. Will you come and take care of me? She lives just four miles away. And we know they were together for the better part of three months. Uh, we don't know what happened. I, I don't tell you that I can. Neither of them ever wrote anything. But we have all George's letters to Sally, every one of them, even though she was a, they became loyalists and moved. She kept every scrap of paper he ever gave her. We don't have many of Sally's letters to George. And the reason is, is because when George died, Martha found and burned a large portion of his personal correspondence. Um, what's particularly interesting to me is that after her husband died, now she was a Fairfax, as I said, so she, they were great inheritors of wealth. She wrote a letter to a friend that says, I have only loved and can only love the self-made man. Well, George was the quintessential self-made man. I think she's talking about George. And George hadn't written her since before the revolution. And 18 months before he died, he writes her a letter in England. And he, and he says, I want you to know that all things taken together, the happiest days of my life were in your company. Uh, to me, we're not going to know. And, and I think the leading historians simply say, we don't know and we can't. That's why this is a novel. I get to have some fun with it. But I hope it happened. There's certainly a lot of support that it did. And by the way, I don't think this is a, analogous to... Uh, Thomas Jefferson or anybody else misusing their their enslaved peoples or otherwise uh, doing this. Yes, George may have had a, a dalliance with a married woman, but then George uh, moved on 
And so um, there's a lot of support for it. I hope it did. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So we can put that topic to rest. Did George love Martha? Absolutely. There's no doubt that George's marriage to Martha was the most important relationship of his life. Look, I deal with this in the book. It's it's really fun. I, the whole courtship of Martha and and the marriage, the initial part of the marriage, is, is in the book. And um, they got married for sound reasons. Most marriages at that time either were arranged or they were a political alliance or done for sound reasons. Martha's husband had passed away. She had two young children. She was one of the wealthiest women in Virginia, and she needed a strong male to help her in running her estate. George was an extremely logical choice. Martha was a logical choice for George. George isn't going to be able to run away with Sally Fairfax, as he hoped he was going to, and he never really knew he was, he knew he was never going to. Martha was a logical companion. Now, does that mean then they had a business relationship their whole life? No. In fact, Martha was with George throughout the Revolutionary War and every winter. They corresponded. They had a very uh, supportive and loving relationship. Um, they were very protective of each other. So Martha, his relationship with Martha was the most important in his life. Um, we all can have, early in our lives, errant uh, experiences with others that form us and make us a, a more have more meaningful relationships with a more a more mature relationship with someone that matters in her life. In fact, later on in life, Washington wrote a letter to a, a young woman and said, listen, marry for sound reasons, love will come. And I think he's talking as much about himself as to this young woman he's giving advice. So yes, he loved Martha, she loved him, and uh, obviously they had a very long and both productive and happy marriage. Thank you There's very much. There's lots Appreciate of books it. out there about George Washington. What will people gain from your book that they didn't already know? Well, the initial title of my book was George Washington Action Hero. Um, I realized later on that I was really be- it's really about how he became the George Washington we all know. But that really was my first title because he really was an action hero as a young man. He, uh, he was the head of the entire Virginia militia, colonel, at age 21. And he caused the French and Indian War. I mean, I don't mean it was like he played a role in it. I mean, it was his fault. Uh, that arguably, arguably was the first world war. So um, he lost his first major battle. You know, our general who saved us all. He lost the Battle of Fort Necessity, was forced to surrender as part of it. He accidentally, I believe, admitted that he assassinated someone. Um, he was tremendously brave. I mean, most people don't, because he's the old general guy back from behind the lines, right, in the Revolution. But in the French and Indian War, he's the colonel right up front. Uh, he had horses shot out from under him, bullets passing through his hat. Um, at the Battle of Monongahela, which I spend a tremendous amount of time in my book, it really was a turning point in his life. George 
really becomes famous not because of great leadership or generalship, but because of tremendous bravery. When basically everyone around him gets killed, he maintains his cool and helps lead an orderly retreat as the, the British are massacred by the French and Indians at the Battle of Monongahela. So most people think of George a different George. And by the way, I know I call him George. He's become real to me. And I, I, I know him, so most of us would call him either General Washington or Washington. But this book, he's George because he's still a young guy. And he's a young guy fighting through the French and Indian War. And that's a story that even folks that are, are very versed in history don't know. And it's really fun. He's George Washington, action hero. I'd like to turn to his family. Washington's dad died young. Like so many of our leaders, how did this impact him? George's dad had a tremendous impact on him, but not in the way we would normally think. Um, George's dad died when he was only 11. His dad's name was Gus. Uh, Gus was a very entrepreneurial guy. He was out hustling, making money, um, and away from the home a lot. So there's not a lot of evidence that George and his dad spent a lot of time together. And the Parsons Weems story about the cherry tree and I Cannot Tell a Lie is particularly misleading for two reasons. First of all, because it just never happened. But second, it implies this close father-son relationship that simply wasn't there. Um, when his dad died, the biggest impact on George was, frankly, financial. His, his older brothers, he had two half-brothers from Gus's first marriage. That woman dies, as was the tradition. Gus quickly remarries to Mary Washington, who is George's mother. George is the oldest of six. And unfortunately, just when Gus dies is exactly the time when George would have been sent to England to go finish and complete his education. So as a result, George really only has an, an education equivalent to somewhere between a fifth and eighth grade education. And that adversely impacts on the rest of his life. He's tremendously insecure about his lack of education, his inability to write well for pretty much the rest of his life. Look, at that time, uh, the death of a mother, the death of a father was, was far more common um, than it is now. And that seems not to have been the issue. For him, at the end of the day, the lack of a father meant the lack of resources. And that fundamentally changed his life, um, the way the death of any father or mother would. But here, it really changed the trajectory of his life because he didn't have the, the financial resources he otherwise would have had. How about Washington's relationship with his mother? Was he close to his mother like many of our presidents have been with their mothers? Well, this is an entirely different kettle of fish. If Washington's dad was largely absent and he was known for being sort of a gentle guy and the primary impact was financial, Mary Washington is completely different. First of all, when George's dad, Gus, died, Mary did not get remarried right away, which would have been typical at the time. She was still a, a comparatively young woman of childbearing age, and traditionally they would get remarried, but Mary chose not to. And she continued to run the farm, the fairy farm that George grew up on. And they never got along well. So where George Washington is the paradigm for most of our, and sets the pattern for almost all of our later presidents and many of our major leaders, he was not when it came to his mom. FDR was close to his mother. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was close to his mother. Bill Clinton is close to his mother. We know Barack Obama is tremendously close to his mother. Not true for George Washington. Mary Washington and George Washington basically fought their whole lives. 
Um, she was never happy with him. She wanted him to stay on the farm and take care of her. And so when he goes off to fight in the French and Indian War, she complains. When, when he gets inaugurated president of the United States, she doesn't come. She doesn't go to his wedding to Martha Washington. Uh, George, did, George did everything he could, in my view, as a dutiful son to take care of his mother and do his duty. But there was never any warmth between them. Um, that, in fact, I think that where many of these mothers along the ways with these other presidents helped move them along, kind of push them along, here she pushed him, she caused him to push out of the home, to do everything he could so that under no circumstances would he ever end up back with her, um, which was his great fear. So she played a major role as a motivator to get away, but um, not as the loving mother that is the case for so many of our, our leaders and presidents. How about his brothers and sisters? Was he close to them? The short answer is yes. He was tremendously close to his brothers and sisters. Where normally that the love and affection you'd have for your parents, it clearly didn't exist for George, right? His dad died young, and he didn't have a lot of relationship with his dad. And his mom and he never got along. George got along tremendously well with his brothers and sisters. In fact, you'd think, well... Geez, Lawrence and Austin get educated in England and George should somehow resent them. That wasn't the case at all. In fact, Lawrence Washington, his oldest half-brother, was really George's surrogate father. Um, Lawrence and he were tremendously close. And uh, in fact, ultimately, George inherits Mount Vernon from Lawrence Washington. In fact, if you go to Mount Vernon today, there's only one picture in, in George's study, and it's the only existing picture of Lawrence Washington. Um, they were very close, and after Lawrence dies at a, a very young age of tuberculosis, Austin Washington becomes a very important advisor to George politically. They weren't quite as close, but yet they still really supported each other. And his other six siblings, that is the, the other five siblings, I should say, the ones that were born of Mary Washington, of which he was the oldest, Jack Washington in particular, his brother, was a very, very, very close friend, really in many ways George's best friend, um, and played a huge role in George's life, especially his early life. And in fact, Bushrod Washington, um, Jack's son, um, becomes the primary inheritor of George's estate when he dies. Bushrod, by the way, also becomes the Supreme Court Chief Justice. So um, his siblings were really the central figures in his life in emotionally supporting him. And that's where family really mattered for George. Not his parents, but his brothers and sisters. I really enjoyed your descriptions of his life uh, growing up at Mount Vernon. Can you uh, touch on that a little bit? For instance, what were his favorite things and what did he like to do? His favorite things and what he liked to do for fun were sort of all related. And it all tied to Mount Vernon. He, Mount Vernon was... First of all, because his connection to Lawrence, but also just generally, he loved Mount Vernon. The vista, and if I don't, if folks have been there, the vista in Mount Vernon, looking down at the Potomac, is just wonderful. And that land was such a part of George. And that was his favorite thing. It was his favorite place. And stuff revolved around that. Um, so with that in mind, what, did, what were his favorite things as well? Clothing. George really, keep in mind, he didn't grow up with a lot of money, so he wanted to project wealth and authority. And one of the ways he did that was clothing. So he, he was a guy who really cared a lot about clothes, but he also loved land, land, and land. That is, he spent his entire life trying to acquire more land. He never sold land. He only just bought it his entire life. Um, he also loved horses. Um, that was a big part of his life. And he loved to farm. He called himself a farmer. 
Um, and learning new crops and developing new crops was one of the favorite things George did. Um, he made a decision to move away from tobacco farming and have more sustainable agriculture because, one, he hated the British and didn't want to give them control over his tobacco crop. But he also just found it tremendously interesting. He loved flowers. Um, he loved learning about how things grew. Now, what he liked to do for fun is sort of all related to that. He loved horse riding. He loved fox hunting. It was one of his favorite things to do. And he loved being with people. So he loved playing cards. He liked whist and loo. Um, whist is a game that still was played early in this century. I have no idea how to play them. Um, he loved going to plays. Um, his favorite play was a play called Cato by Joseph Addison, which I talk a lot about in my book. But he loved Shakespeare. Um, he always loved Shakespeare his whole life. And finally, as I, I've said, he loved to dance. He loved to go to parties. He loved to dance. He loved the company of pretty women where he had a Madeira in his hand. And he didn't talk a lot. Um, that was part of his deal. But he loved being with people and listening to them and dancing with them, women, and having a good time. So Washington um, really was liked having fun. He's not the stiff guy we see on the dollar bill. How is your book different from others on Washington? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. I, I really do appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Um, and thanks for this question. My, my book is different. Um, normal historical fiction, at the end, has a one-page author's note that says, um, you know, this part's true and this part isn't. And you don't really know in the detail. Like, did th was, was that guy real? Was he really there or not? And first of all, everyone in my book is real. Every event is based on a real event as much as possible. So on the historical fiction part, I've tried to be much more historical than fiction. But by definition, there's fiction, right? We don't know what George thought. We don't know what was actually said. We can't. Um, and there are certainly controversial parts, like we talked about, like Sally. The difference is, instead of a one-page author's note in the back, I have probably 30 pages of author's notes. Every time something controversial happens, you can go to the author's note and say, did George, for example, lie at the Battle of Fort Necessity or after it? And the answer is yes. However, here's what the major historical nonfiction writers say. It's kind of the leading historical nonfiction writers. I cite them and I actually quote them and say, here's what they say. Most importantly in my book, did George have an affair with Sally or not? All the major nonfiction writers are quoted in the back and you get their views and you can make your own decisions. Um, it's fiction, so I had some fun and got to write what I think happened, but at the end of the day, here's where the line is between I know and I don't know or fiction and nonfiction, and that's what I think for geeky guys like me, you can go in the back and read where the line is or not. If that's not your thing, just read the story and enjoy it. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun writing, and I really appreciate you having me on today, so thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. I enjoyed it. And if you ever make it out here to Virginia Beach, I'd be glad to show you around Yorktown and Williamsburg, two favorite places of George Washington. For you listeners, this book has a lot of action. It's well-researched and makes an excellent read. You can find Becoming George Washington at all major booksellers. Pick up a copy today. For our listeners, Steve Yock's book can be found at www.becominggeorgewashington.com. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. Remember to check out our website at 1001storiespodcast.com and stop by facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes and share our page with your Facebook friends. This really helps us to grow and reach more people. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.